0: Welcome to Yarns at Yin Hu, a podcast about the fiber arts and other post-apocalyptic skills. Episode 249, 3 times 1 is 9. I'm recording this episode blog style beginning on Monday, April 27th and continuing throughout the week when I will upload it and post some show notes, links, and photographs. I'm your host, Sarah. You can find me on social media as Sarah Pomegranate, and I support this podcast through sales of my knitting designs on Ravelry. I also keep quite a good representation of patterns and what I'm working on and notes about things that I'm knitting on my Ravelry page. You can find me as Sarah Pomegranate there. Each time I record an episode, I put it up on yarns at yinhu.com and you can find this podcast via iTunes. Hello, everyone, and welcome. I hope you are well. I hope you will accept my best well wishes for you and your family. Lots of folks have mentioned how this podcast and the regularity of episodes is really helpful and something to look forward to. So even though sometimes I think about it and I think, oh, is this trivial? Is this something that I should still be doing Uh, the feedback that I get from you really helps to sustain my efforts and having regular podcasts is also helping keep me focused so thank you for that and for your feedback I know a lot of you are listening and not writing in and listening to the podcast is a great way to participate doesn't have to be two-way communication. Um, I know you're out there and I hope this provides you some comfort, some interest, some things to think about. So it's Monday morning and I spent the weekend really avoiding emails from work and setting aside time to do things that were enjoyable and creative endeavors. I think I could sink as much time as I can afford into looking at emails and doing things for work. But as one of my mentors in the field of education, Dr. Thomas Smock has taught me, There is such a thing as the point of diminishing returns. And that is the point at which spending more time on something will not make it appreciably better or higher quality or more accomplished. It will just mean you're sinking more time into it. And so... By the end of the work week last week, I felt I had really hit a wall in terms of answering emails, entering data, being responsive, and I just decided that I would not look at those things over the weekend. And it turned out to be a very good decision. We had some nice weather on Saturday and miserable weather on Sunday, and I made the best of all of it. Yesterday in particular, I was able to fill my day with creative pursuits and finally, 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 I completed a draft of the first pattern in a little collection that I plan to release over the course of this next year. And my plan is to release a pattern on the first day of every season. And these patterns all take their inspiration from a book titled Women Who Run With the Wolves. It's a book by Clarissa Pinkola Estes. I received my copy as a gift from my sister Laura when I was a junior at university. And it has been treasured, loved, Uh, battered (laughs) um, and written in over the course of many years and recently I started to use a random number generator to generate a page number and read that page as a kind of daily meditation each day and when I started to do that I started to re-familiarize myself with many of the concepts in this work. The objective of Estes' work is to take into consideration many of the archetypes concerning women and see how these archetypes which often stem from old literature and ideas, can apply to our contemporary lives and how we can be our best selves, be more alive, have a better awareness of our inner life as a result of these teachings. So the book is it's a, it's a big tome. If you're not familiar with it, I suspect many of you are. (laughs) And it's part um, work of psychology, it's part fairy tale and folklore, it's part um, psychological exploration. The book is a lot of things, and for people who know it, um, they usually have very deep associations with it. So anyway... I have been thinking for a couple of years now actually about this project and pulling inspiration from different points in the work and thinking about different types of designs that would be a a tangible reference point to the teachings in the work. And the first design is a pair of toe-up socks. Since getting in touch with our wild woman selves is a kind of a journey, it makes sense to start with the feet. And so I've been working on methods for knitting toe-up socks, different types of toe increases, different types of heel design, how to communicate the pattern etc., and I finally got a draft off to Ellen, my tech editor, yesterday. So I worked on it all day, I had done the charts, but I needed to do a lot of work on the pattern. Likely there will still be quite a bit of back and forth on this draft before it's ready for test knitters because I haven't written a toe up sock design before. But um, it is for socks of 56, 64, and 72 stitch circumference, and I will be in need of test knitters. So, if you have an interest in being a part of this process, you can send me a personal message on Ravelry or on Instagram if you know me there, and let me know. I will have a deadline of about a month from issuing the pattern to having at least one of the socks complete so you can work through the entire design and motif and I will also request that you use a sock yarn that is solid or tonal no crazy variegation or self-striping for this one. I'm so excited. I'm so excited for this adventure and Um, for putting something out that reflects creative thinking that I've been doing for a while. So let me know if you're interested in participating as a test netter, and I will get back to you. I believe I talked in a previous episode about some struggles with focus and management of new rhythms of time. And I was having some difficulty kind of committing to a project or thinking about what to knit next. My mind just keeps really spinning with ideas and not settling. And so I decided to return to spinning. I had finished that big spinning project, making that three-ply, but I had a lot of Little turtles of hand spun singles still remaining after finishing that project. And so I decided to work on a two ply. And I just divided that hand spun into dark and deep colors and light and bright colors. And I pulled from those two piles and just kept a two ply going, changing colors every once in a while and spinning I wasn't making a particularly tight ply or loose ply I just sort of tried to shoot down the middle I had a lot of yarns with different features like neps and um sparkle there there were a lot of inconsistencies in what i was plying together but i just kept doing it in small bits and breaking it up so that if there was neps in one part of the yarn that would be followed up by a repeat of that yarn later on in the skein so i'm pretty pleased with the results This went super quick. It did help me regain my focus and make, I think because it made me feel like something was finished. And sometimes I need to feel like something is finished. (laughs) Everything can't just be going on and in progress forever. Uh, I'm a little type A, so that usually makes me feel unsettled. If I have every pot on another burner, And, you know, nothing that's going on a plate and out into the dining room, if you know what I mean. So I was able to use up every single bit of my spindle spun yarn. And the resulting skein of two ply is four ounces and 616 yards. And I think it's really cool. I'm not sure what it will be. I'm not really good at starting projects right now. So I think I'm just going to let this sit around and maybe look at it from time to time as inspiration. I gave it a soak as soon as I took it off the wheel and measured it and weighed it. And it's currently drying in my bathroom. So I'll just add it to my stash and maybe in the future it could become a really interesting shawl. There's a lot of color in it, so I think it could be a good candidate for maybe combining with some stash yarn to make even a really big shawl or some other kind of project. Extending hand-spun yarn by adding commercially uh, spun yarn is a good technique I suppose it could also be a good candidate for weaving I think Emily mentioned that Uh, so we'll see but I'm really glad to have that off the wheel and something completed and it's a really kind of crazy chaotic reflection of how I've been feeling lately It's Wednesday morning, and I thought this would be a great opportunity to catch you up on new projects before I get my workday started. I have some things on my spindles and my needles. So on Sunday night, I began a new spin with some Shetland, it's called a Shetland Trio dyed by Lisa of Fiber Nymph Dye Works, and she takes three colored, natural colors of Shetland fiber and dyes them with a single color. The set I chose was mirth, and it's dyed in sort of a red, reddish pink. So you get this really perfect gradient and in beautiful Shetland fiber. I love it. And so I started spinning while I was on a Zoom chat with folks who were supposed to be hanging out with me at the Knit Local getaway. So that was scheduled for last weekend, and unfortunately, like everything else, has been canceled. But Selma was so kind as to arrange a Zoom chat, and so many participants Showed up, stopped in, said hello, caught us up on their their news, and shared what they were knitting or what they had knit with yarn from the Washington County, New York area. So it was really lovely to see everyone. Um, It didn't compare to the in-person experience, but it was really heartwarming to see so many friendly faces and to catch up on news. Before the chat, I realized that I didn't have any knitting that was in a place where I could just sit and knit and socialize. So it turned out that this spinning was just the ticket, and I put one of the braids on a Jenkins Turkish spindle lark and one on an Aegean and then I still have the darkest color that is not on a spindle yet but I'm enjoying that and thinking that I will spin those um, singles on my spindles and then I will look for a braid maybe From Three Waters Farm, I like a lot of their braids, especially in the pinks and reds. I think she does some wonderful dyeing with those shades. So I'll look for a six-ounce braid to spin on my wheel, and then I will ply that together with the spindle-spun gradient. I think that will be... A really beautiful spin. Um, And I've been having a lot of fun spinning lately. It seems to help keep me anchored and focused. So that's new on my spindles. New on my needles is some yarn that I... Since Joanna posted this, I think in early March. It may have been late February. She flashed something on Instagram that was a self-striping sock yarn inspired by Swiss chard. And I I was like, I need to have that. When are you selling that? When is this coming? When can I get this? I rarely uh, get this enthusiastic about a colorway, but I just... I love Swiss chard, first of all. But it the colors that she put into this self-striping are just, they're so pleasing, and they're so pleasing together. And I know she dies on some really tough-wearing bases that are really beautiful to knit. And I just knew that my mother and sister needed a pair of these socks in... It's called. It's a charred sock life. So clever, Joanne and Bill. So clever. Uh, so finally, 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 um, during her farm festival weekend, she had an update, and this sock yarn was available. So I went all out and got the Tarhi nylon base that I love so much, along with the mini skein. And I think that will really help me stretch this skein so that my mom and Jessica can each get a pair of shorty socks out of this yarn. It's so much fun to knit with. I love the way the self-striping is coming out and it's just great. And I know they wear well, and I know my mom and my sister will really enjoy these socks. It's also very fitting because of all of the things that I've planted so far this spring. My Swiss chard is the most productive of all. I have it in a trough that was an old... uh, My grandfather used it to carry a bunch of tools around it's a metal a long metal trough like the kind kids make in metal shop class maybe about three feet in length it had a wooden handle but it's since kind of rusted and broken and it's not really good for carrying anything around so I've transformed it into this planter and I have it sitting against the side of the house where I think in that situation, it collects a lot of sunlight and heat and the chard is really loving it. I've gone out to pick off lots of leaves several times already and now that the temperatures seem to be warming up a little bit, I think it will do even better. Another project that isn't on my needles just yet, but I've been planning for uh, to begin this weekend is Bresse. It's a colorwork sweater, a sweater with a colorwork yoke that's designed by Marie Wallen and is in her Shetland book. The only book I have from Marie Wallen and this will be pattern number five from this book and my sixth Marie Wallen um, project overall because I began with Lovitch. Um, Which I'm not sure if that's even in a book. Um, But this will be the fifth design from Shetland. And I need to swap out all of the Spindrift colors for Marie Wallin's British Breeds colors. I have all 16 colors, some are in short supply, including the raw or undyed color. And so I needed to look up each of the colors, see the yarn, and then look at my assortment of British breeds and figure out what would work in place of that. And in some cases, I think I'm going to need to use two different colors to replace a single color. I thought and thought and thought about what to do regarding the raw because there is a significant amount of just undyed coloring and I think that really helps make the sweater because it sets off the colors and I don't have enough of the skein, uh, the one skein that I have. So I did a look in my stash and I think I'm going to replace it with a Foster Sheep Farm fingering weight yarn the qualities are very similar and so I think it will work and I'm eager to blend um, yarn that I love from Carol with this British breeds they have the same sheepy smell a little bit of a luster to them and the dimensions of the yarn and the ply were similar so I'm going to give that a try, and I'll know right away whether it's working because I'm going to knit this design from the neck down, the pattern is written bottom up, Uh, but I'm going to reverse engineer it. Uh, Emily did that with her lovage, and when I knit lovage, I just followed the pattern. I made a lot of changes because I wanted the fit to be a certain way. Uh, but I didn't go that one step further to reverse the direction of the knitting and this time I'm going to try doing that. So I've been working on my colors and then I will probably swatch by just starting the neckband and then seeing how it looks, how the yarn looks, giving it a little bit of a steam and then going from there, either to continue or to rip out and redo the stitch count. Um, But I'm looking forward to starting that this weekend. Um, It's traditional for Emily and I to begin something uh, together over Maryland Sheep and Wool weekend, and so we're going to keep that tradition up. It's Thursday morning, and time to talk about what's been going on in my kitchen. I've been cooking with rhubarb this week. Immediately after coming back from the farm stand with some fresh rhubarb, I made us rhubarb gin fizzes. I will post a link to the recipe It includes a very high quality gin, sherry, which I substituted with a little bit of apple cider vinegar and water, as well as a simple syrup and a rhubarb jam. It's just rhubarb that's been cooked down a little bit with some sugar and topped it off with seltzer water. And of course, to make it a fizz, It must include egg white. So eggs are really a hot commodity. (laughs) And I was reluctant to crack an egg and put the egg white in there, but it really does make the consistency of this drink amazing. So we'll be having another round of those um, probably sometime over the weekend. I also make the baked ricotta with spice roasted rhubarb. And I wasn't really taken with that dish. I thought it came out a little bit dry. I really was aiming for the consistency of this German cheesecake that my mother has always made. And I think I might ask her for the recipe and see if I could adapt some of those ingredients to use with the ricotta. Perhaps it needed more egg in it. It seemed like it needed more moisture. Now, the recipe did say to use the highest quality ricotta you could buy. And I did admittedly use just a plain grocery store ricotta because that's what I had on hand. So it was okay, but it wasn't great. Um, And I think I will be returning for the last of the rhubarb that I have on hand right now, I'll be returning to the rhubarb ginger upside down oatmeal cake, which is cooked in a cast iron skillet and is moist and delicious, uses very little in the way of ingredients, it seems to kind of create something out of nothing. I mean, you don't use very much of any one thing and yet you have this moist, delicious product. Plus anything with ginger is just awesome in my book. So I think I'll be actually making that tonight and then looking to score some more rhubarb either when I go to the farm stand or visit mom because I think her rhubarb should be ready the next time I visit. It's been, everything's been a little sluggish because we've had so much cold and rain and dark days and not a lot of sunlight. So things are a little bit behind. Speaking of cast iron skillet, though, I've been looking at a lot of my cookbooks and, as I said, looking through old issues of Taproot Magazine. I pulled out some issues of Making Magazine just to see what was in there and try to come up with a way to bookmark things so I know what I have. I feel like I have this giant stack of magazines and I don't know what recipe or what project is in which one. And maybe I need to put a post-it on the cover of each one and just write the interesting things that I want to get back to in that issue. Anyway, I've been looking at my cast iron skillet cookbook and thinking about whether or not I have enough ingredients to make some of the recipes or if I can do substitutions. And one that I came across that had never really attracted me before were wild rice pancakes I've started cooking a mixture of different kinds of rice. I start with wild rice and I boil it, well, an aggressive simmer, I would say. Aggressive simmer in a pot of water, sort of like the way you would cook pasta. So I don't worry about having a exact ratio of rice to liquid. I just put it In a pot with water. Start with the long grain wild rice that takes the longest to cook. And then I just kind of like back it up and add different kinds of rice depending on their cooking time. So I have some brown rice, I have some uh, jasmine rice, and I just keep adding them to the pot until I have this really nice pilaf and then I drain it much the way I would drain pasta and then I use that for a bunch of things throughout the week including these really great wild rice pancakes so they're a great way to clean out some maybe less than appealing veg or leftover veg you might have in your refrigerator I just dice everything very fine If I don't have that kind of stuff, I will sauté a bunch of finely diced onion, carrot, something green. I've been adding fresh chopped herbs from my outdoor potted garden. And then you put this rice and vegetable in a base. I kind of have stopped following the actual recipe in... The cast iron skillet cookbook, even though that was my initial inspiration, and I've started just putting a half a cup of buckwheat pancake mix, an egg, some water, and then I just keep adding rice until I feel like the consistency is right, and I cook them in a in a big skillet, and then keep them warm in the oven. They're nice as a side accompaniment to a meal but I also like saving them. I just put them in a Ziploc storage bag in the refrigerator and I pop them in my toaster to heat them up for lunch and then they're great with a little bit of yogurt or sour cream dipping sauce. I usually serve them with a sauce that I make uh, or an accompaniment that I make out of sour cream, yogurt, a little bit of grated lemon rind, a little bit of lemon juice, and salt. And that also makes a great dipping sauce. I feel like they need something, um, especially when you're reheating them. But they're really tasty, nutritious, They sort of stay with you and make you feel full. Um, I've been taking them over to um, the office sometimes. Of course, I don't have a toaster over here, but just kind of snacking on them during the day. And I've really been enjoying those. It's Friday. And I didn't end up making the rhubarb ginger upside down oatmeal cake last night. I didn't make any dessert, but I did make a really great dinner. It's a new to me recipe, and I think it's a great power pantry recipe and something you could riff on. It's a Food 52 recipe called Creamy Asparagus Lemon and Walnut Pasta. And it does not have dairy The creamy texture is made from pureeing some of your blanched asparagus with walnuts, lemon juice, lemon rind, olive oil, I added a little bit of the pasta water, and it makes a wonderful pesto-like sauce. And then the remainder of your asparagus and some chopped walnuts are tossed in with the pasta. I added the step of sautéing the asparagus in some bacon fat and putting crumbled bacon on the top. I think it could also be really good with a fried egg on top. I think this dish would lend itself well to that treatment. It was really tasty. Samuel and I both enjoyed it. And I think you could maybe try it with fresh spring peas or maybe spinach or kale. I think you could take a lot of different green veg and puree some of it in a pesto-like mixture and then put some of it on top of the pasta. It was very good. But what I wanted to talk to you about um, today is off-the-shelf... In a little bit of a non-traditional way, usually I talk about books and poetry, but Samuel and I have been listening to some of our music collection and bringing out some of our favorite things, and I have a two-CD set from Natalie Merchant called Leave Your Sleep. I, hmm, I forget what year it came out. It's been out for a while. Um, She created it with her young daughter in mind and went about, I think, for a period of several years collecting uh, songs and stories, hymns, things that are verses for children and set them to music and made a really beautiful double album. There's I recommend getting the CD if you can because there's a beautiful booklet with all of the lyrics and a lot of background information. It's really lovely. And I've been playing this a lot, and the song that really got me is Topsy Turvy World. It's based on lyrics by William Brighty Rands, who lived from 1823 to eight to eighty-two. And He was very well known as an author of nursery rhymes and hymns. He was self-taught. He eventually mastered Greek, Latin, Spanish, and French and worked as a reporter for the House of Commons and worked on his own work for children uh, during this periods of time when um, the House of Commons was not in session When Parliament was not in session. And. um, I think he also served for a time. As. A preacher of some variety. Anyway. This topsy-turvy world. Goes about explaining. What a crazy world it would be. uh, If this or that happened. If three times one were nine. It's quite Catchy, and I feel like it's apropos for our rather unsettling times here. So it's something that I keep going back to. It both points at what could be odd or upsetting, but with a rhythm that's very catchy and in a way soothing. Speaking of music, my last note here in this episode has to do with a project that Samuel has been working on tirelessly since we began our, you know, sheltering and general withdrawal from entertainment and society. Samuel has been working on a single project, which is to create a concert video out of footage that was shot at a, the first Tom Waits uh, event. They did a, a tour last summer. It began on May 17th, and it was called Clap Hands, the poetry and song of Tom Waits. Uh, it's not a tribute act, um, but definitely took a look at different pieces of Tom Waits over time with a lot of different guest artists, different guests in every city that they toured, and then uh, a curated collection of writings, poetry, oddities, interviews that were read between the musical pieces. So the first showing of this last year, May 17th, was at Roy's Hall, which is a historical theater in a very small New Jersey town, not too far from where we are. It's in Blairstown, New Jersey. And Samuel hired um, a camera crew and got all of this footage, which he has been previously too busy to really do anything with. It's a lot of work to put something like that together. It's also a lot of learning to get all the tricks and everything from Final Cut Pro in place to really have the skills to do it. But he has done it. And he is using this video to raise money for Royce Hall, a place that we dearly hope to attend and see shows and we still want it to be around when all of the restrictions on our movement and our gatherings have been lifted and so he is putting up he has put in his hundreds and hundreds of hours of time um to contribute um this piece of entertainment for you in hopes that you will make a generous donation to a local to us venue. So I have already put up a little bit about it and a link. Um, It's tickets by donation, so you can contribute whatever is comfortable for you. And the premiere date and time is Wednesday, May 6th at 8 p.m., so that's when it will air, and you'll get a link and all of this. So I hope if you enjoy um, folk, if you enjoy spoken word, if you are a fan of the work of Tom Waits, I think you would really, really enjoy this. It's a be- It was a beautiful experience live, and I think the video, I've heard it a lot. <laughs> I've seen it quite a few times, just working through and, and helping Samuel and being a, being an audience for his drafts. And I think it's a really amazing thing that you will enjoy. So I urge you to check it out. All right. Well, I am going to edit this, um, and get it up for over the weekend and I'll see you again next episode.